Welcome to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Hume. I'm the managing editor of the Lancaster Patriot, a print newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by Heritage Floors. Heritage Floors can help you create the home of your dreams with shades, carpet, area rugs, specialty flooring, and more. No matter what you're trying to do in your home, they're there to help you. They're there to listen. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, they got all the supplies you need at the best prices. If you want them to install it, they can help you with that as well. They offer you the quality your home deserves at a small-town shop who can compete with the big brand prices. Visit Heritage Floors at 60 North Ronks Road in Ronks to learn more or go to heritagefloorspa.com. Your perfect home starts at Heritage Floors. Well, on today's episode, we are going outside of Lancaster County, outside of Pennsylvania, all the way to Colorado. And I'm joined by Kevin Swanson, who is a teaching elder at Reformation Church of Elizabeth in Colorado. He's also the host of Generations Radio and the author of numerous books. Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Chris, it's great to be with you guys out in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Today, we want to get into your new book, Kevin, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. But before we talk about that, can you just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? I, I was raised uh, a Christian out on the mission field in Japan so many years ago. My folks were homeschooling us uh, back in the 1960s, 1970s, so really plugged in with homeschooling early on. And then uh, in the 1990s and onwards, we moved into Colorado. I took the executive director position for Christian Home Educators of Colorado, eventually became one of the pastors of our little church out here in the eastern plains of Colorado. And, uh, yeah, just writing a lot of books, really doing the best we can to reform uh, education. I think our focus has been Christian education, Christian home education for the last, uh, say, 25 years of ministry work. Well, I think we will certainly address the education issue as we consider your book. So let's talk about this book now, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West by Kevin Swanson. Kevin, tell us, what prompted you to write this book? What's the story behind the idea of this book? Well, um, I have to say that this is one of the most remarkable times in all of human history. In fact, I think it's pretty much uh, as important, if not more important, than the fall of Rome in AD 476. So, you know, we're looking at a massive, massive fall of a civilization, and we need to be aware of it. Uh, we need to be men of Ishikar who understand the times so that we will know what to do. So that's, you know, what that passage gives us in the Old Testament. Men of Ishikar understood the times so that they would know what to do. So somebody once said there are those who make things happen, there are those who watch things happen, and then there are those who wonder what happened. So we just want to be sure we're not amongst the third group, uh, but, uh, you know, aware of what's going on, but more specifically so that we as Christians will know how to respond to it. And I, I think it's an amazing story. I, I, I wrote it for for a high school group. I mean, we we, we produce a curriculum for uh, Christian schools and home schools, and, and I, I, I felt we need to have an accurate view of what has happened to Western civilization. Certainly, Western civilization was amazing in that a Christian civilization, Christian forms of science, uh, inventions, technologies, uh, Christian uh, approaches to medicine and such have been very helpful uh, over, say, the last thousand years, but now we're seeing a massive shift, the destruction of science, destruction of culture, destruction of human civilization, destruction of economy, and that did not come about by Christians. Christians built uh, Western civilization. It's the humanists, the apostates that have destroyed it. 
Well, Kevin, the subtitle of your book is The Rise and Fall of the West. And that idea of the rise of a civilization to greatness and then its fall into decay and corruption presupposes a standard of what makes a civilization great. What is it about the West that made it great? So what is that standard, Kevin? How do we judge a civilization? Good, good question. I mean, I think that bottom line is every civilization uh, is formed on some sort of worldview. And uh, what we see is there's a very, very significant difference in worldview. That's why I start in the book on uh, civilization, the basic ethos upon which uh, Western civilization developed. And it has to do with just the, the per- conception of God, the conception of ourselves, the conception of man's problem, the conception of man's redemption. I mean, all, the, all those things are important. They constitute what we call a worldview. And so you get a basically Christian view, a basically biblical view of origins, a basically biblical view of uh, the the Trinity, uh, the nature of God, the the importance of God, the providence of God, you know, these things were very fundamental for the Christian ethos or for Western ethos for a thousand years or so. And that developed, I mean, obviously Christianity came out of paganism, polytheism and human sacrifice and cannibalism and all the other things that constitute a primitive society. But, uh, but eventually Christianity was very, you know, fruitful and it, and it developed a good form of science some good forms of, of charity, of, of economy, et cetera, et cetera, honest economics, things like that came out of a Christian world and life view and a Christian ethic, effectively, bringing an ethical approach out of the Word of God from Old and New Testaments. But uh, all that started to come crashing down, first with the Renaissance, uh, really the Roman Catholic Church and you know uh, forces that came out of Islam and such, produced a renaissance, which was a compromise on a Christian world and life view, and then eventually that turns into enlightenment. Uh, coming out of the Reformation, the enlightenment was very, very bad. Uh, that would have been about the 1700s, between 1700 and 1820 or so, and then you get into modernism and uh, modernity, and that uh, that pretty much is the death knell for a Christian world and life view, and now we here we are in the 21st century, it's a post-Christian age. I would say that Christian civilization or Christian morality or basic Christian ethics has was, was pretty much utterly destroyed by the year 2006. So I would put the death of the West and the death of the Christian influence in the West somewhere around 2006. Now the question is, when the Christian influence is removed, does that mean that civilization will continue? And my answer is, no, it just isn't going to work that way. It turns out that this humanism, which is really a post-Christian apostasy, is really a very, very corrupting influence. It's sort of like a dry rot of civilization. doesn't do well for the foundations. Uh, doesn't do well for the infrastructure of a civilization. So I, I, I think what we're looking at is West, the Western world collapsing. Now, the Western world has had a huge economic effect on the rest of the world right. by God's grace, by God's common grace, but, but even that is diminishing. And so, you know, it's hard to know what's going to happen in the future, but I think we are seeing the collapse of a civilization. What happens after this, I'm not sure. I think the issues this book covers are so important because so many of us are prone to think that the blessings that we have experienced here in America or elsewhere in the West came by default, that it just happened, that it wasn't actually based on a biblical Christian worldview. And so as we now witness the destruction of many of those what we might call traditional values, uh, we are seeing the unraveling of our civilization. Now, Kevin, what is the solution? How do we not just get back to a previous time, but how do we move forward and build a society that honors the Lord Jesus Christ 
and honors his law word. Well, I, I think we need to rebuild foundations is the bottom line. And, and, and the approach has got to be in the area in which we uh, raise our children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really going to be essential in terms of strategy. Uh, it was the universities. It was ultimately education that destroyed the West. Uh, so I think we need to go towards that and realize it is the college, the universities, Harvard, uh, it's Princeton, Yale, etc. cetera. Uh, it's always the college and has been since really uh, Aquinas, and that goes all the way back to the period of the Renaissance and the Scholastics. So the fact that they took uh, scriptures out of the universities, whereas scriptures were still preeminent in the cathedral schools, and I'm going to say the 900s and the early 1000s, but it's the universities in which, uh, you know, you create a secular knowledge built up on human reason and develop a sacred-secular dichotomy. That is the root problem. And, uh, of course, ultimately, it's, it's the abandonment of God and his word in, in the education and the training and the discipleship of each successive generation. So that's where things came apart. As I see it, if you want strategy, it's going to be uh, in the area of education. And, and scriptures have got to remain preeminent in the education of our children. Uh, it's got to be shot through. It's got to be as a front lip before their eyes, Deuteronomy 6, 7. So that's really been our strategy as a generation's ministry as we're creating a curriculum. We have scripture everywhere, just shot through the science curriculum, through the history curriculum. We want to be sure that the Word of God is a front lip before our children's eyes. So just, you know, kind of cutting right to the solution. <laughs> I, I think the, the Reformation has got to happen in the area of education, Chris, more than in anywhere else. If you're going to focus any energy focus it in the area of education. I'm not sure we're going to salvage politics. I'm not sure we got a, a shot at salvaging the American economy, the Western economy, but we can raise our children in the nurture and ambition of Lord Jesus Christ and hopefully lay some foundations that, that will be somewhat of the salt and light to preserve something in the future should the Lord tarry. Well, let's dig deeper on that topic of educating the next generation. You actually have a chapter in the book called The Rise and Fall of education in the West, and I know this is a topic very near and dear to you. And so I want to ask you, you know, many parents, I think, are still trying to reform the government schools. They think that perhaps we can change the policies, we can get in there and bring the Bible back into the school, prayer back into the school, stem the tide of uh, liberalism and sexual immorality that is inundating the government schools. Is that the solution? Is the solution to get in there and try to take back the government schools? Well, at this point, Chris, it's against the law. I mean, it's, it's, it violates the principles that have been laid out by the Supreme Court of the United States, and that has not been reversed. So to bring prayer and the worship of God, and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge back into the public schools is, is a practical impossibility. Now, you could break the law and you know, as a teacher and, and get kicked out within two months, and so that happens, and we commend teachers that, that stand up and, and do that. But I also think that we need to get back into a discussion on sphere jurisdiction. I mean, where does God place the responsibility of the education, the nurture, and the admonition of our children? That really is in the place of parents. It's not really does not really belong to the church. It doesn't really belong to the state. It belongs to families. Uh, the church has its responsibility, certainly. The church is responsible for baptism, for the Lord's Supper, for you know teaching and such uh, of, of the congregation. But in terms of the raising of the children, what we find in Deuteronomy 6, uh, what we find in Ephesians 6, and as well uh, the book of Proverbs, is this responsibility is placed directly in the lap of parents. 
And so if the state steps in and says, here, let me discipline your children for you. Here, let me feed your children for you. Here, let me take care of the medical situation for your kids. Here, excuse me, but let me take care of the education of your children. That's all against God's law. That's, that, that violates the jurisdictions that God has laid out. God is the source of all authority and power. And he has not delegated that power to the state. He's delegated that power to families. So I think we need to step back and, and, and make those decisions first. It's, I think, ultimately socialism and, uh, and, and the socialistic schools that came out of Prussia, came from Jean-Jacques Rousseau as one of the very first ideologues that brought about the public schools in the modern world, uh, that was a violation of God's law, God's jurisdictional authority that he laid out for parents. And uh, so we need to go back to the Word of God. We need to realize the state has co-opted that, and uh, what the state uh, winds up co-opting usually winds up corrupting, and that's precisely what's happened. So, so that's, I think, ultimately where the, the Reformation needs to happen in the minds and the hearts of Christian parents around this country. Well, how have we gotten to that point, Kevin? How are we at the point where so many within the Church have bought into the idea that we should be sending our children off to the government to be educated? Well, Chris, I mean, I'm a Christian. I believe that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And I do believe there has been a very high-level spiritual force that has gained control of our children. And uh, this is a massive force. This is something unlike any thing the world has ever seen. The world has never seen a compulsory attendance law and a distinctively socialistic, government-controlled, secular ethic imposed upon the masses through a government-funded educational program. We've never seen this in the history of the world. It is a satanic conspiracy of the ultimate degree. And I think parents need to wake up and smell the napalm and the war of the worldviews. Their kids are being... Uh, just uh, robbed of the knowledge of Christ through these vain philosophies and the basic principles of the world, Colossians 2.8, but it's come about by a massive spiritual conspiracy against our kids. So I, I honestly think this is the, the absolutely most important war that we fight right now in the 21st century. It is for the hearts and minds of the next generation, it's for the hearts and minds of our kids. So I guess I would just say there's got to be a spiritual force at work in order to bring about this massively powerful influence that has brought a foreign worldview into every nook and cranny of this country and uh, has outlawed the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and knowledge in the public school classrooms. It's against the law to fear God. It's against the law to acknowledge God, to worship God, to praise God, to fear God, to reverence God in the chemistry classrooms in the high schools across this country. And I believe that's a demonic conspiracy. As, as Christians, we need to stand up against that. I think parents, pastors, we need to engage this battle of ideas, cast down these imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in Christ. That's uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and 6. We need to engage this, this battle. And, uh, and it is a spiritual battle that's been engaged and really happens at high levels. In other words, initially, you know, there's little community schools that were educating children out of the 1600s and 1700s, and you actually did have a, a fairly, you know, Christian approach with McGuffey readers and, and the, uh, 
the work that Noah Webster did. He was a godly Christian man, so I include him as a good guy in the history of uh, K-12 education in America. But by the time you get to Horace Mann, who's a Unitarian, he's turned away from the Christian faith early on in his life. You get on into the 1860s, and, and, and you get this centralization of power. The Department of Education is formed and the federal government, and, uh, and so you get this centralization of control, then the state starts to fund all these educational programs and therefore controls all these educational programs, and so the, the satanic grip is tightened on every family across America by way of the compulsory attendance laws and by way of state control of education. So, so that's, I guess that's, in short, what happened. You can read the whole story in Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. It's a, it's a pretty major work. I put a lot of time into it, but I just think it's a story worth telling. Well said, Kevin. I mean, this issue of education is about the future of Christendom, the future, uh, you know, our children's future, our grandchildren's Amen. future. So Amen. What, what are some, pra- I know you have a, a ton of resources. What are some practical things, I mean, local pastors and local families can do? Uh, maybe they're overwhelmed with this idea of, of educating their children. Maybe just give some practical advice or encouragement, if you would, Kevin. Well, you know, we're a very large organization that equips hundreds of thousands of families around the world to home education. Now, there certainly are many opportunities for Christian education as well, but we are a resource center for that. We have an organization called homeschoolsummits.com. That's homeschoolsummits.com where you can be equipped pretty much anywhere in the world. We probably have close to 60 to 70 countries tied into this. And, uh, and by the way, this is not just America. Uh, we're, I've been to 20 countries. I've spoken to parents, to pastors all around the world. They're very concerned about this secular education, uh, the homosexualization of the curriculum, the uh, transgenderism of the school's that's really being exported to Africa, to South America, to everywhere around the world. Christian parents everywhere are concerned about this. Uh, Christian schools, obviously an option, but uh, a lot of folks can't afford that. So uh, we were just in Brazil and spoke to a couple thousand parents on the importance of Christian home education there. There's probably 75,000 homeschool kids there now, and that's a new movement just burgeoning. So across the world, Christian parents will love their kids and want to protect them from this uh, massive spiritual force that is undermining the faith generation by generation. They're stepping forward and saying, tell us how to do this. So that's what we do as the generations.org ministry and homeschoolsummits.com ministries. We encourage folks to you know check out some of these resources to help you get started with this. Uh, also, I'd recommend HSLDA.org. Uh, that would be an organization, a national organization that's very good in terms of uh, legal requirements to homeschool. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think the movements are growing. Uh, there are so many groups that are coming together, and it's you know not just a Christian school option, not just the homeschool option. But there's also the two-day-a-week option, three-day-a-week option, uh, where parents who just can't, you know, afford the six, eight thousand dollars per year per child uh, requirement uh, can can find ways to homeschool on the side, but also provide some uh, some additional resources from a co-op coming together and providing something for their family. So there's just a lot of options. I call it the free market unleashed in the area of education. It's time right now to take advantage of that. Well, Kevin, I've spent a little time teaching in a private Christian school environment, and while I do commend private Christian schools, the more I think about it, the more I've been impressed with the model of homeschooling and how the model is so conducive to discipleship. 
in the common school method where you're in the classroom for six, seven, eight hours a day, sometimes in large groups, the teacher-to-student ratio is very high often, yet the homeschool model really provides, in my mind, that opportunity for discipleship where the student can truly learn from the teacher, not simply academic facts, but character, godly character. There's an element of discipleship. Do you see that as central to the homeschooling method? Absolutely. Um, the big question is how do you rebuild a civilization now? And I, uh, you know, I was talking about how you build, rebuild a system that's collapsed. And it's impossible when the Twin Towers or some big building's exploding and huge pieces of concrete are falling down to step in and say, here, let me fix that. Let me keep this whole thing from falling apart. I, I think we're at the point now where it's impossible to salvage the Twin Towers, or impossible to salvage the civilization. We need to rebuild, and we need to rebuild from the foundations up. And the best way to do that is what I call discipleship. Not through colleges, not the universities, not through K-12 schools, but discipleship within the context of family, discipleship within the context of church. I'm talking about not larger institutions, but really what Jesus did, where he took 12 disciples, he did not build a seminary, he brought them all into a boat. It was hard to do the seminary when you're sitting in the boat in the Sea of Galilee and the storm's coming up. You know, the lecture just doesn't work out as well. Um, so he has his disciples with him. He's discipling. He's in the context of relationship, in the context of real life, in which there's a constant integration of ideas into real life. Now, that's our philosophy of education that we bring to bear in our curriculum, and that's really the homeschool philosophy that we've taken to uh, just about every state across this uh, country. So... What we need is a discipleship model, uh, not just for the family, but for the church as well. But it does begin within the context of the family, yes. In fact, you know, even public school teachers, private school teachers, I taught in Christian schools, I've taught in public schools, even Christian school teachers will tell you that the more parents are involved, the better things go. And that includes the academic and the spiritual. If parents are not engaged, we're in trouble. And I think every teacher who's out there would agree with that statement. However, here's the other part of that. The more parents are involved, the better it tends to go. Now, that, of course, depends upon the nature of the relationship. Sometimes relationships break down in the context of the home school. And I can say there's, you know, sometimes some drawbacks. Uh, young boys really need more access to male mentorship, and that should come from dad, but sometimes it doesn't happen within the context of the family, and things can break down. So I'm not saying that homeschooling is the panacea or the cure-all but I am saying that it is the context in which we can restore some relationship. It's a context in which relational discipleship can happen. And the way God has hardwired parents, uh, he, you know, it's really that parental relationship that seems to have the, the most impact when it comes to a child's academic and spiritual success. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, our encouragement is as much as possible, parents need to re-engage with their children. And at the very least, every parent should spend some time with their, parent, their children every single day in the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. That's the command from Deuteronomy 6. Teach them the Word of God as you sit in the house, as you walk by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down. So even if it's just for a half an hour a day or an hour a day, praise God, there's something going on. Uh, the hearts of parents are connecting with children. They're discipling their children in the Word of God on a daily basis. So, you know, the more the merrier, you know, the more so the better, I guess is the way I think of it. But let's make sure we get started restoring relationships and getting some family discipleship going. And just in my experience, I mean, family worship has been a huge blessing for us. I mean, every day we're going to be in the Word. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer. But when you make that a pattern and a habit, you really start laying those foundations as a family. 
In fact, I'm looking forward to using this book as a tool for family discipleship. Now, Kevin, is there a workbook as well that goes with this book? Yeah, there is a workbook for us, all available at generations.org. And the workbook is really at 11th grade level, uh, or 12th grade level, either way, uh, or the advanced high school Western Civ course. But, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's the way I do it, Chris. Uh, just, you know, between you and me, that, that's, that's what we do. Uh, we, in fact, we just did it last night. We're coming together as a family. Uh, my children are older, the 21 plus right now. But there's a few of my daughters still at home. So, you know, we read the Word of God. We sing a couple of hymns. We pray together. And then we always open up a book uh, like Epoch or, you know, just an additional book that we read as a family together. And we enjoy that. We enjoy the conversation afterwards. Yeah, amen. Well, tell us briefly here as we're running out of time, your podcast, Generations Radio. I know I'm a big fan of it myself. Let our listeners know what you do on that that show and where they can find that. Yeah, Chris, we've been running the Generations podcast for about 19 years now. Uh, encourage folks to you know drop by. It's really a, a way in which we apply the Word of God to every area of life. And uh, we want to talk to relationships. We want to talk to family issues, uh, church issues, state issues. We're not afraid to talk about politics now. We don't believe that politics is the end-all and be-all. It's just something that, you know, Christian parents should be aware of what's happening in the world around us. And we should be applying God's Word uh, to what's going on in politics. We, We should say, hey, God's Word, God's ethics, God's law, God's system of morality really does apply to history. We also have a worldview in five minutes, a daily five-minute update as to what's going on around the world from a distinctively biblical worldview perspective. You can get that at theworldview.com. But it's just simply saying, you know, God is, is, is the source of law. God is the source of reality. God's in control of what's going on. And we want to be sure we're applying our basic worldview, our basic understanding of the world to world events. And uh, so that's what we do with theworldview.com in our generation's uh, daily radio broadcast. Well, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Our family listens to it. My 10-year-old son, he really enjoys listening to it as well. That really gets to the heart of the matter. You know, are we applying the biblical worldview, God's law word, to society? And speaking of applying your worldview to society, you wrote another book, Kevin, called Apostate, about how ungodly men have applied their unbiblical worldview to our society to the detriment of our society. Tell us about the book Apostate. And Apostate is something on the prequel for Epoch, but uh, it really is an interesting story, a, a really interesting, engaging story of the biographies of the men who destroyed the Christian West, the great philosophers of the 18th and 19th centuries who had such powerful influence. I call them the Nephilim, much like the giants in the pre-flood world that had a remarkable influence, unprecedented influence, upon the destruction of a civilization. And I talk about the philosophers, I talk about the literary giants. In fact, under the literary giants, I include William Shakespeare, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Mark Twain, Ernest Hemingway. Uh, These men had tremendous influence on the ideas that eventually undermined Western civilization. So uh, it's interesting to read of their lives. It's interesting to find, discover that most of them grew up in Christian homes, uh, apostatized from the faith, and then became these incredibly powerful influences uh, that brought about the destruction of Western civilization. It's important for the whole world to understand this as well, because we've exported these ideas to almost every country around the world. We need to give them the heads up as to the poison, the toxic uh, influence that is destroying their institutions as it has destroyed ours. Well, I look forward to reading that one as well. Kevin, where can people find these books, both Epoch and Apostate? 
Sure. All, all resources available at generations.org. That's uh, generations.org online. All right. Well, Kevin Swanson, thank you so much for joining me. There's much more we could talk about. Hopefully, maybe one day we'll have you on again. In the meantime, I encourage people to go over to Generations Radio, uh, listen to their, their podcast, Excellent Stuff, Applying God's Law Word to All of Life. Check out Kevin's new book, Epoch, also Apostate. Uh, use them in your homeschool curriculum. Read them with your children. Talk about them. Open the Bible and, and, and compare what Kevin is saying. What does the Word of God say? How does it impact society and if we can get back to that, by God's grace, we can have a, a new reformation. Well, Kevin, anything else you want to add here as we wrap up? That's great, Chris. God bless you, and be encouraged. Don't ask, continue discipling the nations. Let's not uh, in any way be discouraged from the task that Jesus has given to us. Amen. All right, well, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. For more information about the Lancaster Patriot, visit www.thelancasterpatriot.com.